Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Well, it's a special episode today because this week my new book, Friday Barnes Undercover, has gone on sale, which is huge in my life because every one of my books takes about six months to write and involves a lot of stress and and just work and drawing ideas up from the depths of my soul. So when it finally goes on sale and other people can read it, it's it's sort of like a weird sense of relief and, and just almost disbelief that this actually now exists in the world. So anyway, it's there. Please go out and buy it or download it or whatever you want to do. Um, I, I really do hope you enjoy it. Um, and to give you a teaser and a sense of what it's all about today on the podcast, I will read to you a chapter from that book. But before we get into the story, I did make a promise. I promised that I would give a shout out to everyone listening in Ireland. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening. It's awesome. Uh, As soon as I gave the promise, I then thought, oh my goodness, that's not fair on everyone listening everywhere else. Because I know people are listening. Spotify tells me that people have listened from over 80 countries around the world. I think the top 10 countries that download this show are Australia, New Zealand, United States, Canada, Britain, that's the top five. And then there's also uh, Ireland, India, uh, the Philippines, Singapore, that's where my nephews are listening. I can't remember the other one. But Germany sometimes pops up into the top 10 as well. And, you know, as I say, there's another 70 countries these stories are being listened to. So it's wonderful to think of you all around the world with your families in apartments and houses or in the car, all listening to these silly stories and hopefully having some fun and a good time. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you're enjoying it. All right. Well, let's get into today's story because that's why we're here. Today, I'm going to be reading a chapter from Friday Barnes Undercover. Here we go. Friday and Melanie were in the back of a police car, being driven to the convent where they were staying. Friday stared out the window as they passed through the narrow streets of Florence. There were so many beautiful buildings, so many tourists bustling about. It was hard to believe that just a month ago she'd been cooped up in a cell in a juvenile detention centre. Everything here was so lovely, and she was leaving it all behind tomorrow. The thought made her pulse race. Worries started whizzing around in circles in her mind. Had she made the right decision? Had hormones clouded her thinking? Did Ian have some sort of hormone-based mind control over her? Was she being trapped? Why wasn't there enough air in the car? Are you hyperventilating? asked Melanie. Friday glanced across. She hadn't been paying attention. She realised her breathing was getting rapid. I've got to get out, Friday whispered hoarsely. She glanced at the car door. There was no handle. She was in the back of a police car. They didn't have handles on the inside at the back. I want to get out. I can't breathe. She pounded on the barrier between her and the driver. Just wait, said Melanie. We're trapped, said Friday. She was starting to feel cold and clammy. 
No, we're not, but we don't want to walk further than we have to, said Melanie. It's been a long day, and I haven't had a nap yet. The car pulled up outside the convent, and the driver hurried round to open the back door. Friday burst out onto the pavement, gasping in fresh air like she'd just emerged from a submarine that was low on oxygen. Is she okay? asked the driver. Not really, said Melanie, but there's nothing anyone can do. Her boyfriend just asked her to move to Spain. Her body is struggling to come to terms with the panic. Ah, said the driver, nodding his head knowingly. L'amore, love makes fools of us all. Oh no, said Melanie. Friday was always struggling to pass for normal. Romance is only one of her many problems. Melanie helped Friday to her feet. Come on, let's get you inside. We'll have a nice gelato and a lie down. And you can read one of those boring books about pure mathematics to calm yourself. But it was not to be. As Friday and Melanie turned into the driveway, they found a crowd had gathered. Their teachers, Mr McLean and Mr Nestor, as well as several students, were huddled together arguing. Except for Nigel, who was just eating a massive gelato. "'You can't postpone! I have to fly back tomorrow!' exclaimed Mirabella. "'I have an appointment with Dr Lee on Tuesday!' "'Is it for an urgent medical issue?' asked Mr Nestor. "'No,' said Mirabella, looking at Mr Nestor like he was crazy. "'If it was a medical appointment, I could just reschedule. "'Dr Lee is much harder to get an appointment with than that. "'She's a doctor of cosmetology!' I'm sorry, I don't understand what that is, said Mr Nestor. Duh, said Mirabella. Dr Lee does my nails. If I give up my October appointment, I've got no chance of getting in with her again before November. I didn't know you could get a PhD in cosmetology, said Melanie. It wouldn't surprise me, said Friday. I've met PhDs who study things much more ridiculous and certainly less practical. This is an outrageous waste of all our time, said Mr McLean, taking out his mobile. I'm reporting her to the headmaster. Her behaviour on this trip has been scandalous. Who are we talking about, asked Melanie. Mrs Cannon, said Tria Babcock. Oh, OK, that makes sense, said Melanie. Mrs Cannon was the English teacher chaperoning the excursion. She was beloved by the students because she was a great believer in the role of rest and relaxation in the educational process. But to be fair, her behaviour has always been pretty scandalous. She did pose for a nude portrait that covered an entire two-storey wall of a school building. She did, asked Mr Nestor. He was a new teacher, and this had been before his time. Oh yes, said Nigel, between licks of his gelato. If you want to see it, it's on the side of Farmer Bryson's barn. He takes tour groups out to look at it every Wednesday at 4pm. He says that's when the light is best, as the sun sets, so she appears to glow. Mr McLean was trying to call the headmaster. He glared at the screen several times before giving up. This place is ridiculous, he snapped. Their mobile phone reception is terrible. It is a convent, said Melanie. I think they prefer to communicate with prayer. And heavenly gelato, added Nigel. So what happened? asked Melanie. Friday sighed. (sighs) Now that the adrenaline had worn off and her hyperventilating was under control, she realised she was totally exhausted. She really wanted to go inside, lie down and be left alone. She did not want to know about whatever petty drama was unfolding with her school group. Mrs Cannon's been robbed, said Nigel. I don't know why she's making such a fuss, said Mirabella. It's not like she had anything nice, anyway. This did catch Friday's attention. She may have been so exhausted she could barely stand up, but she really liked Mrs Cannon. Mrs Cannon was deeply eccentric in a fun way. Friday didn't like to think of someone she liked being robbed. What did they steal? asked Melanie. 
Everything, said Mr. Nestor. All Mrs. Cannon's things and all her clothes. Right now she's sitting in a room naked and refusing to come out. And no one else is the same size as her, said Tria, so no one's got any clothes they can lend her. And Mr. McLean and Mr. Nestor can't go inside because men aren't allowed in the convent, added Nigel. We have a plane to catch at 8am tomorrow morning, wailed Mr. McLean. We don't have time for this. Then just call the police, said Friday. The nuns don't want police in the convent, said Mr. Nestor. I tried reporting the theft to the police myself, but they're too respectful of the nuns. They won't come in unless they're invited. Well, Mrs. Cannon can hardly get on the plane naked, said Melanie. I wouldn't put it past her, said Tria. Besides, she can't go anywhere, said Mr. Nestor. Everything is missing. That means all her documents are gone, including her passport. And the airline won't let us on the plane without a female chaperone for the girl, said Mr. McLean. The whole thing is a debacle. Friday will investigate, said Melanie. She'll sort it out. No, I won't, said Friday with a yawn. I'm too tired. It'll only take a minute, said Melanie. I'm sure you'll find a clue that will reveal the culprit. It's probably just one of Mrs. Cannon's admirers, souvenirin' some of her things. I don't want to, said Friday. She had her eyes closed and was trying to fall asleep while standing. She'd been in two chases that day, one in which she was chased by the police because they thought she was an art thief, and another when she was chasing the actual art thieves. It all added up to a lot of exercise. Come on, said Melanie. Mrs. Cannon's room is just along the corridor from ours anyway. Hey parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. A few minutes later, Friday and Melanie were standing outside Mrs. Cannon's door. Friday longed to walk the few extra metres to her own room. Aren't you going to knock so we can get this over with? she asked Melanie. I'm a little nervous, admitted Melanie. If Mrs. Cannon's clothes have been stolen, I don't want to confront her naked. She might be wrapped in a bedsheet, said Friday. I don't really want to see that either, said Melanie. She knocked on the door. Mrs. Cannon! I've brought Friday to investigate your crime. Go away! I'm too traumatised to see you, called Mrs. Cannon. Friday was tired of standing. She slumped down on the floor with her back against the door. Fine, just tell us what happened, she said with a yawn. Well, when we got back from town, said Mrs. Cannon, I went to take a shower. Afterwards, when I returned to my room, it was entirely empty. Everything was gone. I suspect those mean girls. Highcrest students are forever throwing clothes in the swamp. My suitcase is probably in the Arno River, halfway out to sea by now. But how did you get from the bathroom back to your room, mumbled Friday. Her eyes were closed again and she was drifting off. I walked, said Mrs Cannon. But I thought you were naked, said Friday. Her eyes drifted open again. Did you walk the length of the corridor naked? Goodness no, said Mrs. Cannon. This convent is too drafty for that. I wore my dressing gown. 
So you're not naked in there, said Melanie. That means we can come in and have a look at the scene of the crime. I don't think so, said Mrs Cannon. I'd have to check with my union representative first. I don't want to have my rights violated. But aren't you the union representative at Highcrest Academy, said Friday. Which is why I'm so vulnerable, said Mrs Cannon. I look after everyone else, but who looks after me? We will, said Melanie, as she turned the handle and pushed the door open. Friday was still leaning on it, so she fell backwards into the room. The room was the same size as their own, but there was only one bed, and as an added touch for comfort, there was a small armchair. The most notable feature of the room was, however, the total lack of anything else. Wow, said Melanie, they totally cleaned you out, didn't they? They didn't even leave my toothbrush, said Mrs Cannon. Well, how did the thieves get in, asked Friday, as she slowly struggled to her feet. Through the window, said Mrs Cannon. Friday went over to inspect it. It was a lead-like window made up of a dozen small panes. One piece, near the latch, had been punched out so the thief could reach in and unlock the window. The broken glass was still lying on the windowsill. Friday took a tape measure out of her pocket and measured the width, height and depth of the whole window. It looks like the building was designed to slot suitcases through the window, said Friday. It's exactly the right size for a large suitcase. Maybe the nuns did it, said Melanie. They designed the window so the guests would be easier to rob. The building was constructed 400 years ago, said Friday. I doubt the architect could have anticipated the invention of the aeroplane, let alone the exact specifications of an airline-compliant suitcase. Who knows? Galileo and Leonardo da Vinci were very clever, said Melanie. Maybe they did. The wall was so thick, Friday had to climb up on the windowsill so she could lean far enough forward to see out into the garden. There was a two-metre drop to the flowering bushes below. The height made her feel queasy. Friday climbed back into the room. What do the clues reveal, asked Melanie. Well, the broken glass is on the inside, said Friday, pointing to the shards. Ooh, I know what that means, said Melanie. It comes up on TV police dramas all the time. If the broken glass is on the inside, that proves that someone broke it from the outside. When people fake crimes, they always get that wrong. Or it could mean that someone who watches a lot of TV knew to open the window before breaking the glass, said Friday, so that it would look like it was broken from the outside. So it could be an inside job, said Melanie. It would be such an easy crime to commit, said Friday. All our thief had to do was wait till Mrs Cannon went down the corridor to take a shower. They could easily sneak in, pack up her suitcase and tip it out through the window, then go out around the outside of the building, pick it up and roll it down to the river. All my lovely things gone, said Mrs Cannon, dabbing her eyes with a corner of the bedsheet. Except that didn't happen, said Friday. You can't prove that, said Mrs Cannon. I don't have to, said Friday. The Daphne has proven it for me. Daphne, said Melanie. There aren't any students in our group called Daphne. Daphne is the name of the lovely flowering shrub in the garden bed outside, said Friday. Like many beautiful things, Daphne can be delicate. Now, a passenger is allowed to take 23 kilos of luggage on an international flight. Mrs Cannon likes to dress with style, isn't that right? Mrs Cannon shrugged. I like to look my best. I consider it a professional duty. Which means you are not a light packer, deduced Friday. So your suitcase would have been full. If you dropped 23 kilos from a height of 2 metres, that would generate 225 newtons of force. Daphne bushes are not designed to withstand that. They would be crushed. Then the thief must have thrown it out the window, said Mrs Cannon, right over the flower bush. 
The window is 80 centimetres deep, said Friday. It would be impossible to lean into the window and then throw a 23-kilogram suitcase very far. Besides, no thief came in that way because no one stood on the Daphne bush either. Then who did it? asked Melanie. And how? For that, we have to look for a motive, said Friday. And there isn't really one. Not a sensible one. But I can think of an unsensible one. Which leads me to deduce that Mrs. Cannon did it. You staged the whole thing, didn't you? What an outrageous accusation, said Mrs. Cannon. Outrageous, maybe, said Friday. Accurate, definitely. I don't understand, said Melanie. Mrs. Cannon does not want to go back to work at Highcrest Academy, said Friday. But Mrs. Cannon never does any work at Highcrest Academy, said Melanie. Yes, but Mrs. Cannon loves Italy, said Friday. The food is fantastic, the scenery spectacular, and the waiters flirt almost as outrageously as she does. She doesn't want to leave. This is why you're my favourite teacher, Melanie told Mrs. Cannon. You're so wise. You can't prove any of these accusations, said Mrs. Cannon. My personality can't be taken down and used against me in a court of law. Actually, character is routinely taken into consideration in a court of law, said Friday. But that doesn't really matter, because I don't think it'll be hard to find some physical evidence. The suitcase is long gone, said Mrs. Cannon. Really, said Friday. Is that what you truly believe? Friday was back in deductive mode again. We know you don't like physical exertion, so if you had moved it, I doubt it would have gone far. Mrs. Cannon smirked. But... I noticed on the way in that Nigel was eating a six-scoop gelato, said Friday. Gelato is wildly overpriced here. We've been in Italy for two weeks. Nigel is not good at mathematics. I know because I was in the same maths class as him for two terms, so I know he failed financial maths repeatedly. I doubt he has any money left. So how could he afford that enormous overpriced gelato? Mrs. Cannon didn't look so smug anymore. Mrs. Cannon, did you pay Nigel to hide your clothes? asked Friday, tucking her thumbs into the front of a cardigan as if she was a barrister. She was enjoying the cross-examination and getting caught up in the role. And I warn you, Nigel will confess. He is terrible at lying and he's frightened of me, so it won't be hard to get him to spill the beans, or in this case, the gelato. You must be tired, said Melanie. That was a terrible joke. Mrs. Cannon sagged. She realised the jig was up. All right. I paid him 20 euros to throw my suitcase in the river, she admitted. I'm going to get in trouble, aren't I? Don't worry. Teachers can't get detention, said Melanie. Besides, it might be okay, said Friday. Nigel's pretty lazy too. Let's find out if he actually did it. After bribing Nigel with another 20 euro note, they soon had all the facts. He had thrown the suitcase in the Arno, but, being Nigel, he hadn't checked the tide, which had been low at the time. The suitcase was still standing, wheels in the air, partially embedded in the muddy bank. Mr McLean is going to be insufferable when he finds out, grumbled Mrs Cannon. Don't worry, Mrs C, said Friday. We'll tell him the truth, but not the exact truth. We'll say, a student threw your things in the river and we were able to retrieve them, so everything is okay. The fact that you paid Nigel to do it doesn't really need to get out, said Melanie. But what if Nigel blabs, asked Mrs Cannon. Just give him another 20 euros if he promises not to, said Friday. When Friday finally got to lie down, she went out like a light. The mystery of Mrs. Cannon's clothes had taken her mind off the life-changing decision she had to make the next day. The end. 
All right, so that's the end of the mini mystery. So you might want to stop the podcast here, but I'm actually going to read to you a bit more because the next bit is the teaser that leads into the next mystery. And I want you all to rush out and buy the book. So I'm going to read this to you and leave you on a cliffhanger to drive you insane so you go out and buy the book. If you don't want to be driven insane and forced to spend money, that's fine. Just stop listening now, but I'm about to do it. So here we go. A call in the night. Thud, thud, thud. Ah! Friday woke up suddenly. It took her a moment to realise that there was someone knocking at the door. Who's that? She wondered. Shh, mumbled Melanie as she rolled over and tried to get comfortable. If we're quiet, they'll go away. Friday, I know you're in there! Caught a recognisable voice. It was Parker, a boy so hapless he often needed Friday's help to get him out of scrapes. Go away, Parker, said Friday. It's the middle of the night. Really, said Parker. My watch says it's 8pm. I'm pretty sure it's right because we just finished dinner. Friday tried putting a pillow over her head to drown out the sound. And I don't think eight o'clock is the middle of the night, Parker prattled on. I'm pretty sure midnight is the middle of the night. I'm not good at maths, but I think that's still four hours away. Friday looked at her own watch. It read 8.04pm. How long have we been asleep for, she asked. She'd been so tired and in such a deep sleep, she'd lost her bearings. It must have only been a couple of hours. Not long enough, grumbled Melanie. I think eight o'clock is more like early evening, Parker was still talking. It's hard to tell because people eat dinner later here in Italy, so maybe for them it's late afternoon. Friday's head still felt thick with exhaustion. Her body was achy too. It had been a crazy day, and apparently it wasn't over yet. She swung her feet out of bed. No, don't do it, protested Melanie. If I don't, he'll never stop talking, said Friday, and she opened the door. What trouble are you in now? Oh, it's not me, said Parker. Not this time, anyway. It's Binky. Binky, said Melanie. This news woke her up. But he's not here. Binky was Melanie's older brother. He had moved to Oslo to be close to his girlfriend, Ingrid, who just happened to be the crown princess of Norway. This was an arrangement the king of Norway only tolerated because Binky had agreed to serve two years in the Norwegian army to demonstrate his devotion. No, agreed Parker. He's on the telephone. Can you believe it? The nuns have one of those old-fashioned types of phones. It's actually attached to the wall by a cable. It's like something out of an old movie. Anyway, he rang them up because he wanted to talk to Friday. Friday was soon jogging up to the office of the main courtyard. She would have run faster, but Melanie was with her, and Melanie did not run, not even when it was her brother in trouble. Melanie's legs and lungs were just not capable of it. Plus, Melanie had enough faith in her friend's detective abilities to know that a couple of seconds' delay was unlikely to be crucial. When they got to the cloisters, Friday spotted the phone. It did look antique. Apart from the technology being old, that colour of olive plastic had not been fashionable for many decades. The handset was hanging down by its cable. Friday scooped it up. Hello? Friday, is that you? asked Binky. His voice was crackly. Friday wasn't sure whether that was because he was calling long distance or because the telephone was a museum piece. Yes, it's me. Melanie's here too, said Friday. Melanie had caught up and was standing alongside Friday, her ear pressed to the handset so she could listen in. What's the problem? Oh, thank goodness I got hold of you, said Binky. He sounded very upset. I'm in a terrible mess. 
What's happened? asked Friday. There was a delay on the line, so it was awkward knowing when to speak and when to listen. They've locked me up. I'm in a jail cell, said Binky. There was definitely a sob in his voice as he got these words out. Friday felt a lump in her throat. She knew too well how awful it was to be in a jail cell. Sitting in a room doesn't sound that bad, but sitting in a room you can't leave? Not ever? Because powerful people have decided that you are bad? That is a horrible feeling. Binky, it's okay, said Friday. Just tell me what happened and I'll try to help. I'm up on charges of plikflaskrivels, said Binky. What's plikflaskrivels? asked Melanie. I don't know, wailed Binky. I don't speak much Norwegian, said Friday. Melanie had taken out her phone and looked it up. Here it is. It means dereliction of duty. It does? Oh no, said Binky. They don't like it in the army when you do that. Did you do it? asked Friday. I don't know, said Binky. I don't even know what dereliction means. He was sounding emotional again. It means a shameful failure to fulfil your duties, said Friday. Oh, said Binky. Did you fail to fulfil your duties, asked Friday. Well, I can see how they might think that I did, said Binky. What did you do, asked Melanie, or not do? I was on guard duty, said Binky, and when you're on guard duty, it's very important to guard your post. Guarding is meant to be your focus. Yes, said Friday. There were lots of things she might have said here, like duh or no kidding, but her main goal was to not frighten Binky so he could get the rest of his story out. So she kept it simple. So what happened? They found me lying outside my guard post, said Binky, lying face down in the snow. I can see how they might take that as dereliction of duty, said Friday. Yes, agreed Binky. Were you taking a nap, asked Melanie. She was a great napper herself, and Binky was her brother, so perhaps it ran in the family. Oh no, said Binky. Well, actually, I guess in a way, yes. But it wasn't a nap I wanted to take. I was knocked unconscious. By who? asked Friday. A polar bear, said Binky. You were knocked unconscious by a polar bear outside your guard post, said Friday. She was repeating what Binky had said back to him because it sounded so crazy she wanted to be sure she'd not misheard. Yes, said Binky. I can see why they don't believe you, said Friday. That doesn't really sound likely. Are people often knocked unconscious by polar bears in that area? No, said Binky. At least I don't think so. My Norwegian isn't that good, and sometimes the other fellows don't tell me things because they think it's funny. This doesn't sound good, said Friday. I know, said Binky. My commanding officer is very cross with me. I'm facing a disciplinary hearing on Tuesday morning. If I'm found guilty, I'll be dishonorably discharged from the army. And Ingrid's father won't let her go out with someone dishonorable. And if I can't go out with Ingrid, it will break my heart. He had definitely started to cry now. You need a lawyer, Binky, said Friday, right now. Oh, I've got one, said Binky, but he says he can only argue with the evidence he's got. And because I was unconscious, it's a mystery what happened. As soon as he said that, I thought of you. You're so good at solving mysteries. Friday, please, you will help me, won't you? Of course, said Friday. Binky was such a good soul, she couldn't let him down. We can fly out to Oslo straight away, said Melanie. Oh, thank you, Melanie, said Binky. Thank you, thank you. I'm sure it'll be all right if you and Friday come to help. And if it isn't all right, it'll feel so much better with you here to talk to. Everyone is so cross with me. It's horrible. 
Don't worry, said Friday. We'll get to you as quickly as we can. The end. So that's it for now. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>